everybody, I'm Rob. This is Figure of Speech, a podcast dedicated to the impact of forensics on the people who participated. Episode 7, Daniel Kyle. Daniel, welcome in. Thank you for having me, Robert. Yeah. So, Daniel, you've been doing uh, you've been doing speech for a long time. You're a high schooler now. You started doing speech when you were in elementary school, is that right? Yeah. I started in late fourth grade in and I've been doing grade. it ever since. Wow. And uh, you, your dad told me that you had just kind of uh, completely shut out all other like little league and all other activities and once you got into speech it was just it was game on right yeah once i reached the fifth grade i kind of just quit little league i was also doing karate and i just did speech and debate and that's what i've been doing ever since well tell me about that process what was that like your first time going to a speech tournament what do you remember my first speech tournament i was doing duo with one of my friends from school actually and we didn't have much experience with it and my dad was kind of coaching duo for the first time and we did pretty good we got six but they didn't give out trophies for sixth place. Mm. Uh, they did for every other event except duo. I do remember that vividly. <laughs> uh, another memory is I remember getting my hand caught in a door, a big wooden door, crushed <laughs> my entire hand. But the biggest memory that came from that first tournament wasn't... You just had a problem with do. doors? You didn't know how to open them at the time? It was a big wooden door to open the awards. Um. And I put I, I don't know why, but I stuck my hand in the hinge and it cl- closed on it. Wow. And I got like black marks all over the... Oh my gosh. Area. It healed in about... 30 minutes though I I don't know how but the coolest maybe you're superhuman maybe the coolest thing about that tournament was the final round of spar was put on the stage Mm -hmm. and that's when I first saw spar because that was my first tournament but I saw spar for the first time and I remember the topic was that a lion would make a better pet than an elephant like a stereotypical spar topic I remember watching that and I turned to my partner at the time and I said I want to do that and my partner looked at me and was like, yeah, let's do that. So on the car ride back from the tournament, we had my dad give me just topics. Like, um, I think it was like stuff about hot air balloons, better than airplanes, things like that. And my partner and I just went back and forth just debating and just having so much fun with it. So I remember the next tournament I did, which was in fifth grade, because that was basically end of the season, I did spar for the first time. And that was a lot of fun. But I, I, I did terribly. I lost two rounds. And the only round I won was because my judge wasn't really paying attention. Mm. He was uh, eating, I think, fruit snacks on his phone the entire time. <laughs> There's a lot of that that goes around with judges. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember my first time um, taking some students to middle school nationals. There was a, a complaint about a judge who was clipping her toenails during oh, the round. Jesus. Oh, God. That's, uh, That's pretty extreme, I think. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, there's a lot of that that happens where uh, you get some frustration with the judges. Yeah. All right, so you, you lose your second tournament. I mean, your, your first tournament, you take sixth in duo but no trophy. Yeah. Second tournament, you're going in, you're doing debate, you lose most of the rounds. Then yeah. what happens? Well, I wanted to do better because I really liked spar, and I enjoyed the experience even though I didn't do too well. But I was frustrated that I didn't win. So mm-hmm. I remember going to my dad, and I was like, hey, I need help here. You need to help me figure out this event. So he taught me about things like impact. We went over, you know, like claim more and impact more. We really went in depth into it. And so my next tournament, I actually, I went 3-0 and I won the whole tournament. Oh, wow. And I remember that feeling was like amazing, like winning your tournament for the first time and like getting that adrenaline rush. And it was really cool to go from like 1-2 and two to 3-0 yeah. because I really wanted to win. And I remember that was that was really cool experience. And then I just kept doing spar. I think I mingled in storytelling once or twice, but it didn't. I wasn't too much into. You're not it. an interpreter. Not really an interpreter. No, more of a debater. Or I do limited prep. Limited prep is fun. Stay away from extemp though. But impromptu is cool. But uh, I did spar for most of my fifth grade year. I did dabble in PF a little bit. Okay. 
which in my first PF tournament, this is what I was talking about, my height, where I first round we get in there and the judge is like, you need to speak behind the podium. And <laughs> at this time, I'm about, I'd say like four foot two-ish, somewhere around that area. And the podium's about four foot like five-ish. So I get behind the podium, I give my first speech and it was a good first speech. It was actually pretty good, but I couldn't see because, you know, I was... <laughs> Stored in the podium. Did you peek out from the side of the podium or I what? I tried my best. I'd like hop up, look over a bit to try and make eye contact with the judge. And we get the ballots back and I get a 23 speaker points because the judge says, I, he's like, you weren't making eye contact with me. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, but you asked me to stand behind the podium. I did and I couldn't see you. And looking at the ballots, we actually could have won the tournament if I got higher oh, speaks man. in that round. And I was like, God. And it was frustrating, but you know, haven't had that since so that's, that's often when, the, when the, the whole tournament comes down to if i just made eye contact you know yeah you start playing some of these games of like uh if i had just said this or done that then the whole thing would have shifted completely yeah those are nightmares they are they are very much so nightmares. that that's all the way through fifth grade you said right yeah all right and then what was your middle school experience like sixth grade was a fun year because sixth grade is when i first started attending high school tournaments. Mm -hmm. So in fifth grade, I had gone to middle school Nats. I didn't compete because I didn't know I could compete. Apparently you can. Uh, I just went to watch. It was a lot of fun. And then sixth grade, I started going to high school tournaments. Um, I don't remember too much from my sixth grade year. I know I went to a couple tournaments. Well, to be um, fair, you were stoned most of the time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but actually, speaking of stone, this is really funny because in my sixth grade year, I went to Stanford. And I went not because I was entered, but because one of our ninth graders dropped okay. towards the deadline. So my dad was looked at me and was like, you're going to go to Stanford because he was in JV Spar. So I went in JV Spar in sixth grade, and I'm this sixth grader with sophomores, juniors. Mm -hmm. I'm completely out of my element. I don't know what I'm doing. Luckily, Spar was in the hotel, so I'm just chilling in the hotel doing rounds. And I remember they announced breaks, and I broke to semifinals. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> um, I was like, whoa, I'm six grade. Out of your league, but yeah. surviving. And I, speaking of Stone, one of my topics, I think my third round was that we should legalize marijuana. And I remember looking at my judge and I just said, what's marijuana? Because <laughs> I, I, I was a sixth grader at <laughs> right. the time. And most sixth graders during that time did not know what marijuana oh, was. Oh, you mean weed? Oh, God. Yeah. I, I thought, yeah, yeah, it's I grass. Know. I'm sorry. I didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I had them, they had to explain it to me. That's what funny. marijuana was and i'm sitting there like so it makes people like ha happy <laughs> and i kind of ran with that and apparently it worked because i got to semifinals and i also had a topic about high school sports no i was like i don't know about high school sports i don't know what that is and i think we reshuffled the topics and they posted finals and i didn't break the finals no but when we looked at the cumes they broke i believe either top six or top seven and i was one spot away and it was based off of it wasn't clean slate so they based off of cumes if i had oh. higher cumes i actually could have broken the finals which would have been a pretty cool thing as a sixth grader that's yeah. really impressive yeah but in, in funny memory and this i think this is on youtube i think i think uh jung actually posted this on youtube of me on the stage on campus in stanford when they announced awards and they did semifinals of spar so they put us on stage and there's just this line of really tall high schoolers and then, this and then little, me and this it just guy. like dips <laughs> and when they announced my name i think i got a standing ovation <laughs> for making it to semifinals that's that was, really awesome that was a fun memory it was one of my best memories at stanford um and i don't have too many other fond memories of stanford a lot of walking in, in <laughs> public form just dying of heat but you know 
So that was your sixth grade year. What else about middle school? Because I want to get into your high school experience. I yeah. want to know more about your high school stuff, but I don't want to neglect what, what you did in middle school. You had yeah. a really successful middle school career, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I think, I don't know if I still hold the position, but I did, when I graduated, have the highest amount of points in mm. middle school. I think I had around... NSDA points? Yeah, I think I had around 1,800 around there. I don't know if someone beat me. I think uh, River from VIP might have beat me. Mm. I don't know for sure, but I have to, and it doesn't matter too much. And it sucks now that they're carrying over middle school points into high school mm. now because they're changing the system. When I graduated, I got 50 of my middle school points. Yeah, for the longest time, no matter how many points you had, only <laughs> yeah. 50 would carry over. And What's the new system? It's like it's, a it's, percentage? It's almost, I think you can get almost all of them now. Oh, wow. It's insane. I was like, wait, so you're telling me I could have doubled my point? Yeah. Like, okay. But I do remember seventh and eighth grade was fun because that's when I started competing a lot in high school. So I actually competed in varsity in my seventh grade year. And that's why from my eighth and ninth grade year, I could almost never compete in novice. I was never a novice. And that was both good and bad because it gave me a lot of experience. Sure. And I think that any eighth grader going into ninth grade should compete at a high school tournament. And I think that definitely helped me, prepared Mm. me for high school and didn't make it so I got burnt out because I've seen a lot of incoming freshmen get burnt out Mm. because they go into high school for the first time and then they kind of disappear. Uh, but a big memory of my eighth grade year, and then we'll go into ninth, is uh, Berkeley. I made it to semifinals of impromptu. And this was open impromptu, too. So there's a lot of kids in the semifinals. And it was kind of surreal. I was like, am I really in semifinals? Like, it was just, whoa. Uh, I didn't make it to finals because the cumes didn't carry me all the way through. But it was a fun experience. It was really cool to, like, get there at an eighth grade level. And then there was a freshman who made it to finals and I think won the tournament. But Well, that's impressive, too. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. But I think that's about it for my eighth grade year. Mostly just doing tournaments, having fun. So before we get into your high school experiences, I'm curious, how how do you feel like your middle school uh, experiences shape you as a high schooler? Not just your high school competition, but how have they changed you as a high schooler? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like in middle school, I feel like everyone in their middle school years, I feel like is very arrogant mm. and very bratty in a sense i sure. think most eighth graders on the circuit you can tell are really you know think they're all macho i think they're all the they're the big person there so i think being in eighth grade and then going into high school luckily for me it wasn't as extreme but that middle school experience of acting all arrogant definitely i think just calmed me down in recent years because in my high school years, I've definitely tried to be less arrogant. I don't want to be all snobby. I don't want to act like that because I know that people don't like that. Do you feel like you were in eighth grade? Oh, 100%. Yes, definitely. It was obnoxious. Uh, I think almost all eighth graders are, in my opinion. I think, But I think that's important. I think when you do eighth grade in speech and debate, when you learn that, you get to see why it's wrong. And then when you get into your high school years, then you know not to act like that. And I think I've seen a lot of kids who do eighth grade and go into high school don't act like that. But a lot of kids who kind of started in their sophomore, freshman year can sometimes act arrogant and mm. don't change it. And I think that's important about middle school. And also just getting the Do you think it's the because experience. they're getting some level of success and that... I think so, yeah. That for the first time, they've really had success? Yeah. I think in the eighth grade year, when you get, like, pummeled at your first high school tournament, that teaches you. Mm. That's like, a, calm down. Like, have some humbleness, right? Mm. Like, you're not the Humility. best. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really important for just everyone doing speech and debate is that if you're competing in middle school, do a high school tournament because it helps you with experience. It helps like make you more humble. It makes just your whole speech and debate career better, I think. What do you think about the the students that do well 
maybe they're coming off their great eighth grade year and then they they're freshmen and they're phenoms and they do really well that almost exacerbates the issue, right? Yeah. Um, Maybe they, they're not going to calm down until they get to college. Yeah, I, I have seen that before. I've seen eighth graders be really good, and they're really good in their ninth grade year, and mm-hmm. they just keep going. And and honestly, I know some people who are really good at handling that, but then there are the people who aren't. And honest, those people kind of don't aren't liked in the speech and debate community. You mm. can notice that a lot of those people who act like that, people don't like them. Because, yeah, they win a lot, but they don't win in good ways, or they don't act so humble and they act so arrogant about it that people are just kind of put off by it but some people are pretty or can be good about it i think mm-hmm. so what about your high school experiences let's talk about that so ninth grade year i needed to change my event because normally i've been doing pf up, pf up, up until then for three years at the time so i was super experienced in pf and my new school didn't have a program so if I wanted to a program compete, at all or a public no, forum program? Just no program. Okay. Completely. Um, wow. Just, yeah, not started. Uh, we tried to start one. Didn't really work out that much. Uh, most of the people were interested in IE. It's not really public forum. So I needed to find a new event. So I need. I tried LD. So my first LD tournament was the first term of the year usually is Jack Howe. So I went into JVLD. I couldn't go into novice because I had too much experience. And I got to finals of that tournament. And I remember the final round was really sad for me because I had – this one really cool flow judge, and he had this big old like uh, construction paper flow. It looked like he was taking, he was like writing a map down because it looked super old, and he was just like drawing this massive thing. And these two lay judges, who they were, um, they were paying attention, I guess. And I remember the feeling of I knew I was winning because whenever I looked at my opponent, and either I give a speech or he finished his speech, he looked defeated, like he was just like the whole time. And I remember losing that, and that was kind of not the first instance of getting like you know what you call judge screwed. I've, it's happened to me before. It happened to me in um, uh, eighth grade, I think. No, seventh grade when I was with in PF, and I got judge screwed by um, someone I I won't name, but most people have been judge screwed by this person before. Um, and also, I think everybody person. has their stories of like, yeah, this one judge. Oh yeah. Um, but ninth grade, I remember it was really fun because I was like, oh. I'm actually pretty good at LD, and I kept going with it. So my ninth grade year, I did LD. I was pretty successful. I didn't win too many major tournaments. And when I got to Berkeley, obviously, I did okay. I think I went 3-3, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I, I – honestly, I don't remember too much. But what was a cool part about that year was Nat Qualls. And in my ninth grade year – our dis- my East, East LA was actually pretty competitive in LD. We had San Marino, who had a really strong team at the time, and they were doing really well. And I remember getting to the tournament, first time in that quals, didn't know what I was doing. I was like, wait, I have to qual for nationals? I, I didn't know that because in middle school you just go. And it was really, really kind of crazy and scary. But I went, and first round, I'm like, oh, God, who am I going to hit? And I hit a senior at San Marino. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, what a great way to start the round. So I do the rounds, and I actually come out of it feeling pretty good. Uh, second round, I believe I hit one of the juniors at San Marino. Then third round, I hit a sophomore at San Marino. And then fourth round, I hit another senior at San Marino. And then the fifth round, I hit this uh, the same sophomore I hit before. So I hit five San Marino kids and my knock walls, and I beat all of them. Wow. Yeah, and I remember that was kind of a crazy experience for me. I was like, whoa. I, I just, like won this event like i did not so i became i got district champ of my district in my freshman year in lincoln douglas that's awesome and that was really really cool and 
then going to Nats, I did, I was, oh, I'm trying to remember specifically. It was, I think I went, I was, uh, I was one ballot away from breaking. So the ballot, the breaking was like eight, four, I think mm-hmm. I was, I believe seven, five. And I was so close. I was Ugh. like, dang, I almost broke. Uh, and the other person, people who called actually did pretty well. Mm. So this is when our, our district was actually pretty strong in Lincoln Douglas. But I remember the next year I came back for quals, it went from very traditional, very values-focused debate, very slow. I remember all my debates in my ninth grade year were super slow. Like we were talking to lay judges, and I was going conversational pace, sometimes even slower than how I'm talking right now. We'd focus on values, things like that. And I came back the next year. First round was pretty lay. Second round was okay. And then I get into my third round, and then the dude starts spreading and going super fast. And then we have like plans, counterplans, theories, Ks, those things. And I'm, I'm just kind of stepping back. Had you dealt with, with speed before very much? Yeah. Actually, the, the first tournament of my year in my 10th grade year was at Loyola. Okay. And that was, in my opinion, one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. It was progressive to the point where, honestly, I, I ne- that was the only time I will ever state, or I've ever stated I wanted to, did not want to come back the second day. Mm. I did, just didn't want to come back because it was terrible. I mean, first round I ran into... We were talking about national service, and someone ran the definition that national service meant paying or giving uh, land back to Native Americans and in, in, in Hawaii. And they were talking about, like, blood laws and things like that, and that's a national service. This was LD, right? This yeah. wasn't policy or anything. No, it was LD. It was LD. And I remember I was like, does the definition of national service include doing this? And they were like, no. And they were aft. And I, I look at the judge, and I'm like, judge, the definition doesn't include this, so it's not under the topic. And the judge in her RFD was like, well, yeah, I know it doesn't fit under the definition, but she still wins the plan and she wins the round. And that was kind of my first impression of progressive LD. And at that point, I was just kind of confused. I'm telling you, I think some of the uh, some of the spreading that's going on has I know this is an argument as old as the hills, but it's just it's it's really alienating new members to debate. And you have this. I think you have like a cyclical cyclical pattern of people who know how to spread, know how to yeah. run Ks, and they know all of the terminology, and they wind up when they're when they're done with their career, whether it be high school or college, and they can no longer debate. They just go back and coach debate, yeah, and they coach the exact same stuff exactly. they had learned. And the people who are more conversational, I feel like they're more likely to get a job as a you know a lawyer or something oh. like that. So there's no real input back into the system of let's make it more conversational let's talk about values let's talk about you know just ideas my idea versus your idea versus trying to win on a technicality do you find that to be true is that am i off base in saying that no that's 100 percent true and and something else i noticed is that this progressive pushed away a lot of the traditional debaters like the people i debated in my ninth grade nat calls they were all traditional debaters and the Mm -hmm. next year nat calls they were gone all of them left some of them went to policy, ironically. Um, That's a couple of them, two of them graduated, and then one of them just dipped into PF, and they just split from LD because they didn't like the way it was going. And I talked to them, and they were like, "No, we just don't like the progressive LD." Well, I'm starting to even see some of it in public forum, like some of it's <laughs> yeah. pushing out there. And you would think that the the whole purpose of the event is to keep that from happening. It, it really was the whole point of public form was to create a less progressive LD because right. LD was getting too progressive and PF was made to be... And like, LD was created because policy, policy was getting too progressive. <laughs> yeah. So 
So we kind of see it just a cycle repeating and also with Worlds being technically the newest event. It's existed before, but it officially became part of the NSDA after public form. And it was also created to kind of be a slower form of debate. And this year on Team USA, you have a bunch of progressive LDRs on the team hmm. and it's getting faster and you kind of start noticing these things. And it kind of sucks that that's what's taking over because we that's really not what debate's all about. Right, you don't want to have the speed and this. All this technical stuff is fun and all, but that's not like the root cause. That's not what we're doing debate for. Well, at a certain point, I mean, you might as well have robots doing it for you, right? I mean, you might yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, you just you have, you might. I mean, there's a lot of teams that and tournaments that require you to publish your case ahead oh, of time. You yeah. know, and I, I even have a problem with that because I feel like well, I then agree. what's the point? What's the human element? Here? Oh, I agree. I mean, you might as well just judge these words versus those words and write an essay and just make it essay debate yeah literally like at loyola when i went there they i got disclosure theory run against me which is when you don't post your case on the wiki Mm -hmm. and uh, and at that point at that time i didn't know what that was i was actually kind of confused oh i'm supposed to disclose the case so i claimed like i didn't know and the judge was like well i don't know if i buy that so we're just gonna drop it and it's like okay i'm sorry but apparently you need to just tell people what you're gonna run because then they know how to prep it, and it's an issue of fairness. But then if you know what your opponent's going to run, then it doesn't turn into a critical thinking debate where you're thinking on, you know, right away, you're having to think of new arguments and think of ways to refute things. You just know what you're going to do. So it becomes how well can I read these things that I already know are going to work. Well, it also is a race to the bottom of you didn't disclose early enough, right? Uh, you, you only disclosed last week, yeah. but I disclosed last month, thus... I mean, there, there's no end to yeah. this, and right? Also, my problem with disclosure theory is that it, it honestly creates an unfair advantage because if you have a team full of, for with one person, disclosure doesn't help you too much because you can only do so much prep as one person. But if you have a team full of, let's say, 20 people and they're going against someone and their case is on the wiki, they can prep that out in a matter of minutes and just completely take it out. And I think that creates kind of an unfair advantage because now you have the teams with more people, more resources, outsmarting and out take and taking out the smaller teams because they just have more time to do it sure and i don't i think that that's not what debate's about it's between you and that person not between you and their team what also limits you in that you can't really change your mind you know yeah i've disclosed and then as you discover new evidence or new ideas you're, you're kind of stuck of like well do i go do i retract what i had already disclosed yeah or you know how do i deal with a lot of this you know and and i and or even like the day of the tournament what if there's news that breaks that affects your argumentation and you want to change up what you're saying and say in light of recent events here's now the position that i want to take but you haven't disclosed that and so i think there's a lot of problems with that and it's exactly what you're saying it's a problem of um of critical thinking you're not thinking critical you're only thinking about what's been put in front of you and i think there's a problem with that and also something I noticed was the just massive increase of Ks, just random Ks. And they, they're they a good Ks. I mean, if someone, someone says something racist, yeah, okay, I understand that. You don't want them, you, you can't get away with that. But some things I've seen like colorblind Ks where someone was like, oh, you highlighted in a color and that discriminates against me. And it's like, I understand that that's a problem and that's something that we need to take into account. But that's not a reason someone should lose because like, they didn't take into account the fact that you're colorblind. I mean, we can change the highlight colors. You can make it so that, like, you can 
make it so that it's done in a different way. I don't see why someone has to lose because of that. And these kind of Ks are just everywhere. And people have started running random Ks, random cases. People run off topic things. Like they are like, we need to just debate a new resolution. I remember running into that where they're like, this resolution sucks. Let's debate something else. And the judge was like, okay. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, okay, what do I do? Because I, I don't know how to debate this new topic. And I lost that round, obviously, because I couldn't debate the new topic that was created. And I think that what's happening is that the, these debaters aren't treating debate as a learning tool and as an event where we get to expand our abilities and make it so we can critically think more. Instead, they're treating it as a game where they can just try new things and try new strategies to win in the most abusive ways possible. And I think that's a problem because debate's not a game. It's not something that the only purpose is to win in the most convoluted ways. It's you want to do the best you can, but you're here to learn, right? We're here to learn skills that are better for our lives that make it so we can do better. I don't know that I totally agree with you. And I'm not saying that you have to, I mean, you're a debater, you, you'll stand up for your own <laughs> ideas. I, I do find it to be a game. And that's the first thing that I t teach all my students is that it's a game. But I do think I, I'm, I'm with you in spirit in that it's a game that we're learning strategies and it's a teaching tool as well. Um, but I don't like the convoluted strategies yeah. that are unfair. Yeah. And the real problem, I, I don't even have a problem with them trying it. The problem is that judges are buying it. And that's the real problem where it's like, are you kidding me? Like, that's, that's true. this is not right. You know, that if, I, if I'm on a tennis court and I hit a serve and it's outside the line, but I can convince the ref that there's a good reason why, because they've been playing tennis longer, I should have the right to serve outside the line. That's messed up. Man. Okay, that's, that that's no longer a fun game. Yeah. And you ruin it for new players because you're saying I have I have the ability to to manipulate the judge in a way that uh, gives me a, an unfair advantage. And new players come in going, uh, this isn't fun. Yeah, um, that's and I, I completely agree with that. I think, and that's one of the reasons why I just kind of ditched LD because I was actually I'm better at LD. I have statistically done better at LD because I'm actually more of an LD debater. But I switched back to PF because I was like, I don't like what's happening here. Um, and I remember this year, first tournament, Jack Howe is the first time I really started seeing an influx of progressive in PF. And one of the things I noticed was in PF, it's basically a well-known rule that if you don't bring something up in the summary speech, you can't bring it up in the final focus, mm -hmm. right? That's just a normal thing. I don't know if that's in the rules. I can't remember specifically, but that's kind of a consensus in the debate communities. Right. If you don't bring something up, you can't bring it up again. It's abusive. You can't do that. But I, there was a judge who said that defense is, and I'm quoting them, defense is sticky. Yeah, they, they say defense is sticky because they said that if defense is brought up in rebuttal and it's not touched, but you don't have to extend it into summary. You can just extend it into final focus without bringing it up. And I think that at that point when you have judges overriding rules and regulations that we've created to basically make a fairer debate and make a more fun debate, that's when you start to see progressive rising up and people start doing whatever they want. Because that's the biggest problem with progressive LD is that there's no rules. In progressive LD, you could ask someone, oh, what are the rules, what are the limitations? And they tell you there's no limitations. You can do whatever you want. And I think every sport, especially if you're trying to learn something, needs at least some sort of regulations. Right. Something to bring it back down if it gets too insane. Yeah, what are we doing at a certain point? Exactly. I mean, you're just sitting in a room listening to somebody yeah. babble. I mean, I, I think there is room for some progressiveness. I knew some debaters. Um, I came from the college parley mm -hmm. world, and 
I, I remember there were a couple of guys out of um, out of Cal State LA that I really liked, and they were actually part of the Young Genius program. So they were high oh, schoolers wow. that were taking, you know, the uh, the Cal State LA program, yeah. and they were getting the college degree. But they were 15, 16 year olds, something like that, and they were doing parley, and they would always take whatever resolution that was given, and as often as they could, they would try to use performative uh, debate, and they would turn it into okay. We're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, and the resolution is still the resolution, but we need to take into consideration that zombies are breaking down the door, and so we need to make our decisions now. And most of the time, the other teams would go right along with them and go, let's do it, man. And you had so much fun in those yeah. debates because this is a game, and it can actually be fun. That's and I true. think there's room for that, right? Yeah. I mean, we can all kind of role-play a little bit. Why not? That's yeah. fun. You're kind of role-playing anyway, but now you're just role-playing under different more fun circumstances. Yeah. And I think there's room for that. Definitely, yeah. But when you start getting into this archaic un, un, like language that, that is, um, I shouldn't even say archaic, but like esoteric mm-hmm. uh, and, and perhaps archaic as well, but it's so nuanced that the other team doesn't have a fair advantage. I agree. That seems to, to, to tip the scales a little bit in my yeah. mind. Yeah, I feel like if you can make it so both teams have the same playing field, but you've just changed the playing field, mm-hmm. or like you've changed it so it's different, I think that's fine. I think that's fun. But I mean, obviously, it probably won't happen every round. But once in a while, it's good fun. And it makes the event enjoyable. It kind of brings new light to the event. And it makes everyone just have a good time. I mean, for an example, when I was hitting another Nova team at a tournament, we decided, hey, why don't we just have fun with this round? And we looked at, our, we talked to our judge, and I think it was Conrad actually. Um, and we were like, judge, do you mind if we have fun this round? Like, we're just gonna run random stuff because we're hitting each other. We're gonna have fun, right? That's what we're doing this for. And he said, sure, why not? So, my team ran a Ted K, kind of. It wasn't actually a K, but it was essentially that all impacts in the round had to come back to Ted and had to relate to him. So we ran how this topic caused him stress. It caused him to get sleep deprivation. So we ran the impacts on sleep deprivation and stress and how it could lead to things like cancer and over and like obesity. And that, that was so much fun. And the opponents ran that we should talk about how, um, uh, I think how to get away with murder and Shark Tank are really good shows <laughs> and that those should be kept. And it was just all sorts of fun. And Conrad hated us at the end of the round. Like he was like, I hate you guys. Why'd you do this to me? But we didn't, I mean, it was kind of mean. But, but you know what? If you don't have that, then you lose the love for the activity. I, I think, think so, yeah. I think once in a while you need to have that fun. But then it's not fun if your opponent runs something that gives them enjoyment, but it's so abusive to you right. that you can't do anything about it. Well, that's why you almost need like an agreed upon. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there's a, a part of me that appreciates when people wrap their cases or something like that like i can appreciate that oh yeah as long as the other side doesn't find that abusive if they're enjoying oh, yeah. that and they're going yeah let's do it that that sounds great man oh, yeah. you want to get into a rap battle we'll do that uh but there's a time and a place for that and sometimes you're forcing your viewpoints onto somebody else exactly and i think that's what's important and also i think that's kind of where regulations not as much like NSDA regulating, but the kids regulating and judges regulating. I mean, like, we can do that if the opponents are okay with it or if the judge is okay with it. And I think creating that, like, agreement is what makes the debate more educational. And if it does get silly, it still makes it fun because if an opponent just comes up there and starts running, like, picks or running things that are abusive and they enjoy it but you don't, then it's not a fun environment. It's not really having fun. It's just one person enjoying 
beating the crap out of someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's not really what this event's about. It's about learning and also having fun. And if both teams have fun doing the same thing, then I think that's where debate's really fun. Sure. So, all right, we talked about your ninth grade year. Yeah. All right, and then take us into... Let's say you're a junior now, right? I'm a senior. Oh, you're a senior. Yeah, I'm graduating this year. I thought you were a junior graduating this year. No. Oh, I thought you were graduating a little early. No. Oh. I'm graduating early in terms of my age. I'm only okay. 16 right now. I see. Yeah, But I'm still, I'm actually a senior. Okay. Um, so continuing off of 10th grade really quickly. So 10th grade, I didn't call for Nats in LD uh, first. I eventually did through some convoluted methods. Uh, I went, so I, that's the first time I, you killed somebody, (laughs) maybe, uh, no, but I went in worlds Okay. and that was the first time I got exposed to worlds and I loved it. It was a really fun event and I went to Nats in it and we were the first East Los Angeles team to ever break at nationals. And that was kind of a really cool achievement for me because you're like, whoa, we led this team to being the first to break Mm -hmm. in our district. We only broke one round because I put two, I, I was like, I'll step out because I was, I was dying. I was so tired, but my team wasn't didn't couldn't handle the topic as best and that's unfortunate i thought they really could and they did really good but it was a really close round um i also i think i got 15th speaker there mm-hmm. out of oh no 18th 18th out of about 800 kids wow so that was really cool but so convoluted method um san marino had one of the kids on the world's teams and they'd also taken the top spots in 10th grade but they dropped from nats they just couldn't get there so by law of the fact that I was down here and San Marino dropped, I got brought up I and see. became the second person to qualify for nationals. <laughs> and I remember the week before Nats, literally the week before nationals, they were like, hey, you, you called an LD. Do you want to go? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to go an LD a week before. I didn't prep the topic right. at all. So it went to someone else. And that turned, that Nats was a little depressing because the previous year we'd done really well. I think mm-hmm. we got someone to quarters. But this year the two people in the top were progressive and the best we did was six six mm. we just broke even and that was kind of like ooh, that hurts for us because yeah, our rough. district went from getting doing really well to this and i think that shows with progressive is that it doesn't work in that and that it can't it it's but the sad thing is now it's working because in my junior year a lot of the top teams were all progressive teams because they basically do progressive throughout the entire tournament, and they get to finals, and then they make it traditional. Mm. So they kind of create a guy, like this this smoke screen of like, oh, we are traditional debaters, but in reality, they're doing progressive throughout. But 11th grade, luckily for me, Nat Qualls went back to traditional. So I was able to qual again. I I did qual to LD. I gave up the spot to go to Worlds. Um, So you fell so in love with Worlds that you decided to give up the LD spot? I didn't feel like doing LD, but... The problem with Worlds at the moment is not the event. The event's doing great. Uh, it's getting a little progressive, but nowhere even close. So it's it's honestly, it's still great, a great event. I thoroughly enjoy it. I think everyone should try it at least once. And more tournaments have held it. Like Harvard-Westlake now holds it. Jack Howe had it as a supplemental. Um, and a bunch of other tournaments are just having it. Like Claremont tournaments have them now. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, and Chuck Ballingall has it too. And I think more kids should try it because it's really a good way to practice lay debate like a really effective way of doing it but i did worlds and the problem wasn't in my in the event it was in my district because the way the kids were chosen this year wasn't like my coach or our world's coach could choose kids he wanted the schools elected kids Hmm. and my coach had to pick out of those and it's a little weird because you're not choosing the best for the world's team you have the people choose the kids they want and you just have to kind of pick and choose and it sucks because a lot of good a lot of good debaters 
would not necessarily be the best Worlds debaters because mm. Worlds is very present presentation focused. So you need good debaters, but also great speakers. So you need well, a it lot seems of... like you also need to work well with others. I mean, it turns it a bit into a popularity contest, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're not well liked, it's unlikely you'd get nominated. Yeah, and, right? but sometimes you get kids who get pushed in because they didn't qual. And mm. what happens is you get sometimes you get kids that the team maybe didn't want mm. and like that's kind of sad that that's what they resulted to is just pushing them under worlds and i think that's just not how it should be i think the coach should choose or there should be an application west la for example has an application process you have to apply to be on the world's team and that created a very good team like they have a very a lot of elite debaters and ones that work well together and mm. the coach got to pick and choose who had the best chemistry whereas in east la you just got to pick out of whoever the coaches chose and that can lead to imbalance that can lead to problems especially like when you have teammates who don't agree or you have teammates who don't work well on a team. Sure. And I think that was one of the biggest problems that hurt me in my in this year in Worlds or my 11th grade year was that I had a teammate who didn't want to work well with others. And when we asked him to carry his load, he said no. Like he didn't want to write cases. And then when we told him he couldn't speak, he got upset. And it was just a lot of inner conflict that could have been solved by not having elected or chosen people, but instead have the coach pick and choose and find the best people for Let's the see. team. And I think that is really important. And that's kind of incorporating into my decision this year if I'm going to do LD or Worlds. I don't know yet. Well, that's the next question I was going to ask is, are you going to focus on Worlds or LD? I'm not sure. Um, if Worlds gets better, if the process is more efficient, I'll probably do Worlds again. Um, if it doesn't, I might just do LD for Nationals. And at this point, it's my senior year. It's kind of like a last hurrah, right? I might as well do whatever I enjoy. Yeah. It's not too important that I you know, win every event. I'm not so focused on that at this point. I'm more focused on just kind of doing things doing fun things that's why this year i'm trying more parley you know going into other territories probably still not going to touch inter um <laughs> i did a poi last year wow that was an fun? experience <laughs> um i am not cut out for inter uh let I, me just say that i love when debaters do interp and i love when interpers do debate <laughs> so and much. every once in a while someone can do it all you know when they do yeah. it all you're like wow man like, you um, really got it like andy yeah. Here, he's amazing HR, but also one of our best LDRs. Yeah. And he's got the skills to do both. And I think that really shines. And it's I think it's a matter of, first off, for Interp, he's got the voices, he's got the energy, but he's also just not afraid. He doesn't care of what people judge him by. He doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to him when he's speaking. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that stops me from Interp. One of the guests that we've had on this podcast, um, AJ Moorhead, uh, is one of the top competitors just of all time and he yeah. uh he has is is a national champion in all three different divisions limited prep oh, wow. uh a platform and uh interp that's impressive and he had a really good philosophy about this and he, he said you know because it's all interp in a way even when you're debating you're kind of interping you're kind of doing it some is a little bit more overt than others and sometimes you're being asked to really go beyond uh what you might be comfortable with but i think it's an interesting philosophy i'm not sure that i totally agree with it but i think it's a really cool idea of yeah. how it's all interp and i think there's some truth to it i think um in impromptu it's interesting for for me when it comes to memorizing things and doing things that I've done before, I'm not good at that. I'm sorry. Uh, but my impromptu, 
I can surprisingly be really funny when impromptuing. Like my final rounds, usually I lift up the comedy to almost mm-hmm. max. At one point where a judge commented on my ballot said, seems a little less like an impromptu, more of a stand-up comedy routine. <laughs> um, I personally felt very proud of yeah, the fact great. that I, yeah, they thought I was doing a stand-up comedy because I feel my, most of my jokes, most of my humor comes from off the spot, uh-huh. just right off the top of the head, just randomly thinking of it. When it's planned in an interpiece, it's harder for me to pull off mm. because I don't feel as natural when doing it and i think that's like it's just a different skill set for me i think my skill set and the way i think the way my critical thinking functions it's just i don't know if it's really cut out for inter i think i could pull it off if i really put a ton of effort into it and i really put all my energy into it but i just i just enjoy more making people laugh through impromptu and making people enjoy themselves through just things that come off the top of my head because i feel like that's sure. where my humor shines and that's more fun to me and that's kind of the another thing that actually impromptu I love is that it's just it's all impromptu, right? That you have to just come up with that off the top of your head. And that really helps, I think, with the humor of it. But then there's some people who, you know, can their stuff. Um, that's a whole nother issue in high school. That's can speeches. Oh yeah. Um uh, finals of Jack Howe this year. Um five out of the I'd say I think there were seven of us in that final round can their speeches. And I knew because they'd get Good down. Times. They'd get down, they'd sit in the round, they'd pull out a notebook, and they'd say, I think I'm going to use this speech this round. <laughs> and you're just going, oh, my God. And they were putting, piecing, like, AGDs together with the first example, second, third, a conclusion, how they're going to format it. And they're like, now I just have to slot the topic in. And, <laughs> and I got beat by that, by one of those That's in the second round. Because he's an HIR, so he had great energy, but his speech was so canned. And it was terrible because I just think it's 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 it goes against the entire event when you can your speech. Mm-hmm. I think that's why you know I'm so happy that you guys are doing something in middle school where you're counting examples. And We're trying, yeah, and it's worked. I mean, I kept track of the examples, and I barely saw any canning. One person who canned their examples. Yeah. Everyone else had almost always unique examples, and I think that's wonderful. And I think it shows that it doesn't decrease the quality of the event. It actually increases it because now you have people really doing impromptu instead of the same people always making their finals because they're always doing the same things. Sure. And it's frustrating when you hear those speeches and you recognize them and you you, you can recite them word for word mm-hmm. or know what's coming next. And yeah. it just it just sucks. And I think that it needs to be changed. I, I It's hard to change it because it's hard to keep track of that stuff, but it's kind of unfortunate that that's kind of where impromptu is going at this point in time because all the top impromptuers almost always can their speech there is one that doesn't and he won nats last year in my opinion one of the most amazing speakers he's funny he's got great analysis cut out for impromptu and for the most part he does impromptu all of his examples and i think that's wonderful humor in impromptu is such a great skill set and i think that really winds up if you can have good analysis i think there's a lot of people that have good analysis but if you can have good analysis and uh, couple it with uh, nice humor and make the audience laugh while they're learning, you're set, man. 100%. I think anyone who can handle a tonal shift from humor to seriousness when yeah. doing the analysis would is an amazing impromptu. Yeah. Because at that point, when you make your audience laugh, but then you can be like, okay, but let's get serious and actually teach them about what you're trying to tell and make them really think, but also laugh, that's... And that's kind of what the fun thing about impromptu is. Well, that's good speaking, right? I mean, yeah, that's good speech yeah, in general. Exactly. It's just... Let's have this be entertaining, but also educational. Yeah, and I think that's what's fun about impromptu is because you can walk out of a round and you're like, I taught someone something and made them laugh. Right. And that's a great feeling, I think, to have. 
Well, Dan, uh, the next part of this podcast is called The Final Round. Uh-oh. And this is a series of survey questions that we ask every guest Ooh. on the episode. So uh, I have a few questions for you. All right. First of all, uh, first question. Were you superstitious? Of the of speech and debate? Yeah. Um, I would say, yeah. Uh, first time doing it, I was scared out of my mind. Um, and also kind of weirded out by this whole thing, especially when the first time I ever saw someone speak to a wall. That, that <laughs> kind of worried me uh, about the mental state of speech innovators because I saw 10 people looking at walls just giving speeches, and it creeped me out the first time. Uh, I was also just scared because I was I was a super timid kid in my fourth grade year. I hid under a table the first time I was asked to speak. Uh, that was that was fun, but I was definitely kind of I was worried about entering the event. I was definitely kind of scared to do it. Um, I think everyone is when they first do speech and debate. I think speech and debate in general is a scary thing to do for your first time for most people. I've seen people just jump right into it and they do really well, but. I guess the superstition, I, superstition kind of goes away the first time you do it. Because when you actually do it, you're like, whoa. This is so did you fun. have any behaviors? Like, did you have a lucky charm or anything that was superstitious? Did you, uh, yes. like uh, what? So at one point in time, my when my mom switched to vegetarian, I followed her because that was just kind of, you know, you follow what your parents do. And one of our parents here at Nova kept track of that and saw that when I actually did become vegetarian, my performance dropped like i did worse <laughs> so she was like but whenever you ate red meat before the round or before a tournament you did better so i don't know that's <laughs> that's not i don't know if that's a statistically or like empirically proven thing any science behind that but actually till now even today every night before a tournament we eat some you up on a big steak steak hamburger pork maybe and my little brother does it too it's just kind of a family tradition that wow. before a tournament we always eat red that's meat. really interesting i like that it's 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 not scientifically proven but it, it's fun it, and it kind of gives you a boost of confidence you're like yeah it's steak I'm doing I, got, the ritual. I, I got this yeah um another superstitious thing that is backed up by statistics is whenever i'm sick i have statistically performed better uh, I had a stuffy nose one tournament, and we won the tournament with perfect speaks. Wow. Um, I had one tournament, I had heat stroke and uh, food poisoning, and I won the tournament, and both impromptu and PF. And I've just surprisingly done better while so, sick. Like before nationals, do you go wander the halls of hospitals hoping to like hang out with <laughs> sickly patients? Actually, um, Nat Qualls, this, uh, my 11th grade year, I had, you know, bone, you know, you have bone chills, yeah. everything's aching. I had that. Um, so... During in between rounds, I was curled up on the pavement in the sun, nice. just trying to heat up, and I'd get into round and just like unleash all the energy and then just come back. And, just like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, you know, got second place there. So I don't know if there's a reason behind it if I just perform better, but I just perform better when I get sick for some reason. Good times. Question number two: Who was the competitor you most admired? Oh, um, oh, that's a good question. So middle school. The person I most admired was Aiden Shev. He was an amazing impromptuer. And I remember the first time I ever beat him, it felt like so amazing. And I actually got a cake from it. Because uh, one of my teammates said, if you beat this person, I will bake you a cake. And I got a cake because <laughs> I, I beat him. And I remember he felt very distant for a long time. Mm-hmm. He was so good. And he I think he was two grades above me. And he was amazing, and he was such a good impromptuer. And when I first met him, I was super intimidated. But when I got to know him, we actually became really good friends. And someone of me and someone else, we formed this kind of trio in impromptu. Mm-hmm. And for our middle school career, we'd always be in finals together. 
and we'd always be doing it and be like, hey, nice to see you. You're back here again. And I remember that was fun. And I always looked up to him in his style because he was funny. He was really funny and he had good analysis. And that was definitely one of the people I looked up to. And I mean, I guess my dad too, if you really want to count him, because you know, I guess you kind of look I up guess to him. Your yeah. dad, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Um, and I don't know too much about debate. I don't know if I've had too many people to look up to because ever since really my 10th grade year, I was, or 11th grade, I was the captain of the team. So I wasn't really the one looking up to people. I was people were looking up to me, and it's a little it's different that way because now you have actually responsibilities and you have to look good in front of everyone, and that's definitely something harder. But I guess, yeah, but yeah, middle school definitely was Aiden. He was great influence. Okay, question number three: What's the most memorable speech you've seen? Oh, that is, ooh, that's tough. I've seen a lot of speeches in my career. Yeah. Um, if we're really going back to most memorable, the really, the I mean, honestly, I'd probably have to go back to the speech that kick-started my whole career, which would be that spar round at the beginning of my first tournament, at the end of it. I think that would be the most memorable. Elephants versus tigers yeah. as a pet? Not because it was good. It wasn't that good. It was just amazing to watch the yeah. first time. And I think that really helped me out. And I've seen great speeches. Sure. But I feel like that's the one that really most called out to me and really told me, do debate. I know what you mean. The first time I ever saw anything, I was an eighth grader, and I saw some we, – we had like a field trip over to the high school, and I saw some high school seniors that were performing a duo, and Ooh. I went, what is this? I yeah. want in on that. And it got me jazzed. I was like, I want to do this thing. Yeah. They were being funny, and I was just like, I want to do this. And I, I got bit by the bug right then. I was like, 100%, I'm in. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, number four. How do you explain to forensics to someone who's unfamiliar with it? <laughs> uh, uh, I've had this experience a lot, and I remember when I ever I told my friends I do debate, they looked at me and said, "Oh, so you know how to speak really fast?" <laughs> I was like, "No, that's not all we do." Um, how I try to explain it is along the lines of like we learn how to critically think and think on our feet. And personally, I found it's very difficult to explain forensics to someone who doesn't understand it because people and it, you don't really realize the value of debate until you've done it it's really difficult to kind of portray that to other people i think because it's very it has it, it most of its value comes from personally trying it and being in there and all my friends who i told about it, it they got interested they did it and then they were like whoa i i get this i get why this is so cool and i think I, I think debate's a little hard to explain. Speech is more is more fun to explain, I think, because you're like you get to present, do some wacky stuff and make people laugh, or you have to um, it was prep a speech in two minutes and give a five minute speech. And people, whenever you try and summarize impromptu to anyone who doesn't understand forensics, they're just like, whoa, what? What it's is like, that? That's terrifying. Because yeah. two minutes is not a lot of time to prepare. So right. you tell them about it, and it's kind of cool telling them about that because then you kind of you get the sense of like, ooh. I'm doing something that they think is really difficult, and that's kind of that's kind of fun, I think. All right, question number five: What was your most unusual inspiration for a speech? Um, hmm. unusual. Okay, yeah. So this was an impromptu in my ninth or tenth grade. I don't remember specifically. And this came. This was an. I got an AGD off of something that was soup that just happened in the round. Because most of the time your AGDs are things that have already happened. Mm -hmm. Usually past personal Historical examples, examples or something like things that. Things like that. My AGD came from something that happened during the round. Because every time someone would get up to speak, I'd clap. I don't know. I just felt like it that round. I was just feeling happy, and I did that every speech. So when I got up, I just clapped for myself. 
And I remember two people in the back turned to each other and started laughing, right? And I don't remember the topic specifically. I think it was something about doing unusual things. Oh no, I think actually, I think it was about clapping for yourself, which is hilarious that that lined up. And my AGD was them. And I literally, I like pointed them out. I was like, I know some people in the back of those two over there think that this is unusual or that this is kind of funny, but I believe, and I just went with that. And I think that was, it was, it was fun because it was on the spot. It was truly impromptu. Yeah. Like. And it was fun because you got to see the looks on those, their faces when they got called out and they were like, oh, <laughs> uh, that was definitely unusual. I don't know if the most, but that's the one that comes that's to mind. That's the one that comes to mind. About it. All right. Question number six. Has a speech ever caused you to change? Oh. Um, that is, I don't know if I can think of, not in, well, okay, watching better debaters or watching better speakers has definitely changed my style. I think as most people do, when you listen to people who are better than you, you kind of adapt. Um, I think my impromptu style has changed a lot throughout the years. Hmm. Uh, it's been modified by coaches, by fellow competitors, by tournaments, I used to do a very speechy way of impromptu that followed a style of a certain school because I was taught by that old coach. And I definitely kind of, unfortunately for most of my high school career, just kept doing what they were doing. And that was, for me, I thought I was, I was doing well, but it felt bad because I was just copying them. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, I think that's probably the closest I'll get to something completely changing my style. And I've shifted away from it. I've actually, so they use like a cause effect solution style of impromptu. Mm-hmm. I've shifted mostly away from that where I just do two examples that are good and then, or, and the one that's bad or too bad, one good. And I feel like it's not as good of a style, but I like it more because I'm not like, I, I don't want to be like that anymore because that's also a school that cans a lot of their examples and i wanted to shift away from that and it's also helped me shifted my speaking style because they do a very speaking style where they're just like no 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 you know the very speechy speech yeah and i think the shifting from that has definitely changed that so they both it their speaking styles both changed me in a good and bad way i think speechy speech speechy speech all right question number seven i'm excited about this i, I want to know your answer to this because I, I already know the answer but i'm excited to talk about it oh no number seven what did you do with your awards oh okay <laughs> um my all my trophies are either here at the no 42 academy all displayed on a trophy shelf along with my brothers he has about 50 now He's doing really well. Yeah. And some of them are at my house, both my mom's and my dad's. Uh, I have my Berkeley plate, I believe, here, I think. Um, or maybe at my mom's. I don't remember. The trophy case, case out front is gorgeous as I came in. And it's, yeah, that's basically where all my trophies lie. Yeah, it's um, chock full of trophies. I don't know the number. Uh, that number is something my dad knows, but I believe last time I checked, it was roughly, I think, around 200-ish. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's it's a lot of trophies, but Liam is already doing better than me, so he'll probably beat me on that front. <laughs> All right, question number eight. What speech skill do you use most often in your day-to-day life? Surprisingly, not arguing. Uh, <laughs> good. That's probably a good yeah, thing. Yeah, especially with your parents. Yeah. Uh, my mom will not let me use my speech and debate skills against her. If I ever try <laughs> to beat her in an argument, she will tell me, I'm your mother, listen to me. Or, I'll beat you with a slipper. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think the most used is definitely the critical thinking. Okay. Uh, when it comes to doing homework, thinking of like in my macro class, it's a lot of critical thinking because you have to apply what you've learned and how that fits into different situations. I think that's just a skill that everyone uses. That's a day.
day-to-day thing. And I think that's definitely the most useful thing. Also, impromptu, I've used this a, a couple of times, my impromptu skills. When I was doing a competition for Rotary, I was doing their speech competition. They were like, write out a speech about the four truths that we have and how it influence, how it talks about like influencing other people or being influential. I think something like that or inspiration. It was inspiration. And I remember getting there my first time and I didn't have a speech planned. So I impromptu an eight minute speech. Uh, so I impromptu the first one and you'd think after that I might write out one. I didn't. No, don't uh, learn, your, <laughs> learn your lesson or anything. I impromptu the second one <laughs> and made it to the next round and then impromptu the third one and would have made it, but I went seven seconds over the time limit. So they DQ'd oh, no. me. They DQ'd me for seven seconds over the time limit. And all the judges who were, because I'm pretty sure I would have won that. I mean, my speech was really good. It made everyone laugh. And it also wasn't formulaic. And that's why I like giving impromptu speeches. Because when you give it off the top of your head, you just inject your charisma and your personality into it. Mm. But when you write it, it for me, it's harder. Other people can do it really well. For me, it's almost impossible to put in my personality into a speech I write. Sure. But when I give it off the top, it just kind of comes naturally. I think that's really fun. Okay. Question number nine. Why didn't you quit? Ooh, that's actually good. There have been times when I've kind of not wanted to keep going. Um, mainly in doing Progressive Lincoln Douglas, there were times when I just wanted to stop. Uh, what I didn't quit was, first and foremost, there are people who rely on me, like my my partners. There were times when I was like, I don't want to do this anymore, but my partner was there. Or there are people who look up to me, and if I quit, they're going to quit too, and I don't want that. Uh, probably my dad threatening me you know, all the time. No, I'm joking. Um, I think what really stopped me from quitting was realizing how important this is. And I think what stopped me from quitting was realizing how that I, I could just take a break. If I really didn't want to do something, I could skip a tournament. I sure. could just chill for a day. And that kind of helped me, you know, bring it back and be like, I don't really want to quit. Uh, there have there have been times where I was thinking of just stopping, mainly because it was a lot. It's it's I go to about 30 tournaments a year in high school. And at some point, you do burn out. Sure. You start kind of fading and you, you go to a tournament and you're like, I don't really want to be here. And I think what helps is trying new things. I think that's definitely something that kept me going was just doing new events, meeting new people. I think what's helped is having multiple partners. If I had the same partner, it might get a little boring, but having different partners all the time kind of gives you new challenges. If you have a newer partner, you got to do better. You got to carry that partner. You got to, you know, vary up your style. If you're doing impromptu, and one thing that actually does uh, get me is I, at one point I wanted to quit impromptu. Mm. Um, And the main reason was, is that impromptu topics only get so different after doing it for five years you get the same topics over and over Mm -hmm. again and you start giving the same speeches over and over again and it gets boring and at some i literally in my junior year i was contemplating just not doing impromptu anymore because it got formulaic and i think what what made me realize don't is first off i love impromptu as an event I just didn't love the speeches I was giving. So instead of quitting, I changed my style. Mix it up, yeah. Yeah, so I compl- I flipped my style around. I got new examples. I started focusing on other things in impromptu. Instead of focusing more on history, I talked about current people, and I started using video games I really enjoyed as examples. Like I use Dark Souls now as an example. And it's really fun now because I get to inject things that I personally love into my speech and talk really passionately about it. I think the main way you stop quitting and you don't, burnout is you find new ways to do things or you find new ways to inject your own passions into the event Hmm. and if for some people that's doing speeches i think that's why speech people are probably less likely to burn out is because 
you're not doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, you have a variety of events. Yeah, you're too. writing new speeches. And right. I think that's why impromptu really kind of saved me from quitting. Okay. All right, and the last question. What's the best advice you've received about a speech? Oh, uh, that's... I've... I've gotten a lot of advice on my hand gestures. I've gotten a lot of advice on the way, like my speaking style. I think, I think the best advice I've gotten, and I've gotten this multiple times, is to act like a person. <laughs> and, and and really, like in my debating style, you can get like a robot. I think that's a big problem: is that you just kind of go formulaic. And you don't smile enough or you don't act like a person enough. And I think the best advice you can give someone is be yourself when doing a speech. Even in debate, people enjoy personality. People enjoy you being a person instead of just a robot talking to them. And I think in any event you're doing, impromptu, oratory, humorous inter, yeah, public don't be form, a robot. Yeah. be yourself. And I think any injection of personality makes any speech better. Sure. That's great advice. Unless you're a super happy person and you're doing a DI, then maybe change it up <laughs> I mean, a bit. <laughs> well, still, I mean, I think at that point, your job is to find a person, yeah, right? Yeah. You, a, maybe not you. Maybe it's exactly, a different yeah. person, but they want to see a human being back there. Yeah. I, I think that's personally the best way to make yourself better at any speech is to just act like a person. Don't act like a robot. I think that's really great advice. Yeah. Well, Dan, thanks so much for uh, for coming on the show, Thank man. you for it's having me, It's been a lot of, lot of fun. Where can people find you? Do you have an Instagram or Twitter handle or anything I that people can find you? I do have on? an Instagram. Go ahead. Plug yourself. Uh, it is all lowercase Daniel K 2323 On Twitter or Instagram or Instagram. both? Instagram. I just right. have Instagram. That's okay, it. cool. And as for this show, if you want to find us on uh, either of those places, you can find us. Our handle on both of them is at Forensic Podcast. Dan, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been, uh, been a whole lot of fun. And... Uh, so uh, until next round, keep talking, and as Daniel Kyle says, act like a person. I'm not an actress. Oh, you're acting now. Because if you're not, somebody must have shown you how you got the same broken old world charm. I don't know where you come from, but you're perfect for the part. I don't know where you come from, but you're perfect for the part.